Welcome back to the One Day at a Time podcast with me, your host, Valerie. It is officially May, you guys, which means two things in New York. The first is that Brooklyn Mirage season is finally back, and I cannot stress how excited I am for Brooklyn Mirage season because I'm a big concert goer. I'm a big music fan. I for the past few months, have been hopping around smaller venues around the city. It's been fun. It's been cozy. But I love the open air space that the Mirage provides. And as the weather gets warmer, I'm just ready to have some fun. I love it. So very excited. The second big thing that's happening is that it is officially AAPI month, you all. So happy AAPI month for those of you who might not know what it means, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders month. But to honor this month, I wanted to do a special episode on Asian American identity and in particular, what it means to be an Asian American in corporate America. So this idea really came to me recently because as a part of AAPI month, the company that I currently work for has been doing a lot of programming for its Asian American colleagues around AAPI education and workplace empowerment. And I've found the programming to be super interesting so far. I mean, I've really appreciated just having that kind of affinity group at work. Just this past Tuesday, I actually had the opportunity to volunteer with Heart of Dinner. Heart of Dinner is this New York City-based organization that combats food insecurity and isolation amongst AAPI elderly by delivering care packages that include like hot lunches and fresh groceries and produce, along with these cute little handwritten notes and illustrated letters in their native language. I imagine this is very warm and comforting for these elderly elderly Asian friends of ours to see. We've also had fun little speaker events with colleagues who are in more senior leadership roles and with prominent figures like Jeremy Lin, who did a live stream with our company recently. The conversation that Jeremy Lin shared was actually really intriguing. It's crazy to see his whole perspective on Lin's sanity so far into the future. But to be completely honest with you, Before all of this programming, before this month, I hadn't really given much thought to how my identity as an Asian American, as a Cuban Chinese woman, related to the way that I was showing up at work. There was this one theme, this one insight during these many sessions that just kept coming up and really resonated with me. It's this idea that most Asians... We're brought up in a household where we're taught to respect hierarchy. This idea of filial piety is really big in Asian culture. We're taught to work hard, but we're also taught to lay low and be humble about working hard. And above all, we want to avoid confrontation and conflict at all costs. And these practices, they're so normalized in our home, so naturally we end up carrying them with us into our workplaces. And my God, you guys, when I tell you that after hearing this, it was as if a light bulb had gone off in my head. Immediately, my mind went to a recent experience I had. I don't want to say it was a negative experience, but it was a... Definitely a constructive one. Basically, what had happened was, at my company, 
We use this platform called Culture Cloud that allows you to recognize other colleagues that you've worked with on projects, or if you're a people leader, colleagues who report to you or work in your team, etc. But just last week, I don't remember how, but somehow I had stumbled onto my Culture Cloud page and there was just this profile strengths tab that I had never noticed before. So I clicked into it and it opened up to this page that had like 10 or 11 different characteristics such as leadership, critical thinking, hard work, whatever that you could be recognized for by your colleagues or the people that were sending you these notes. I was scrolling through it and at the top of the list I see that I have collaboration coming out at five stars. Oh yes, this these characteristics are rated on a one to five star scale, I guess. But yes, I see collaboration at five stars and then I keep scrolling down and I see, okay, efficiency three. And then I continue scrolling and I see leadership and hard work. I'm scoring a two. And as a high achiever, and someone who genuinely tries so hard at work, you can imagine how insecure and uncomfortable I might have felt in that moment. At the time, I hadn't realized that this was just the platform's like consolidation of the skills that my colleagues had sent me notes about. I fully thought it was feedback given by my leaders, so I was super caught off guard when I saw these ratings. I (laughs) literally had to listen to podcast episodes about receiving feedback, which I generally am really good about and receptive to, but this experience just really left me feeling insecure and confused because up until now, I'd just been hearing that I was, you know, doing a great job to continue doing what I've been doing. And so once I calmed down a little bit and was a few podcasts deep, I began trying to like rationalize and think through what it might have been about my behavior the past few months that would have been reason enough for me to be scoring that low for leadership and hard work. (laughs) Like leadership, I understood more. I'm relatively new to corporate America and definitely to this company as a fresh graduate. And in the few months that I've been here, I've been doing a lot more learning from others than leading others so far. Not because I don't want to, but because a lot of my work doesn't really enable me that just yet because I am a lower band level. But still, I'd like to think that I demonstrate the characteristics of a leader. (laughs) The hard work thing though, that one really hurt me. For context, the first few months of 2023 were a little more difficult for me. There's just been this one work stream that has been super time sensitive. I've been leading it. And between that and some of the other responsibilities that I own on my team, I've been quite stressed the first few months of 2023. I've been spending a lot of time after work and even on weekends trying to finish up or catch up. My company is generally one with a really healthy work culture. Like everyone tells you to prioritize work-life balance. And if you do things right, you really should be able to get off at 5 or 6 p.m. No problem. And up until now, I really have been doing that. Long story short is I really care about succeeding in my role, about doing my best. And so I put a lot of time and effort into it. 
as I was reflecting on my behaviors, I realized that I might not communicate all of that work. Maybe I'm not sharing what's happening on my end with my leaders enough. And maybe it's that gap or that lack of communication or information that might be the reason why it seems like I'm not working hard enough. Something along those lines. In retrospect, I definitely freaked out because I thought this was direct feedback given to me by my leaders, which now I realize it wasn't. It was the Culture Cloud platform, but the experience really got me thinking because speaking up is something that I've actively struggled with in the workplace in the past. Not because I don't have questions and I don't want to talk about the work I'm doing, but because I'm afraid of asking the wrong questions, like speaking up when I'm unsure of something, especially when I'm in meetings with these subject matter experts. And I don't want to be a nuisance to others. I know how busy people are, how much they have on their plate. I don't want to add to that. If I can find the answer offline through a Slack message or a quick email, like I'd rather do that, right? I realize that I'm so conditioned to think and behave this way because of what I've been taught growing up in an Asian household. My mom and dad had always encouraged me to work hard, but keep my head down and not to rustle any feathers or get involved in conflict. And so this might translate into me not speaking up as much as I should in meetings. And this might be why I feel uncomfortable speaking up or flagging something unless I'm 100% sure of the question I'm asking or the statement that I'm making. And I think in most Asian cultures, there's also just this natural practice of respecting or looking up to your elders because they're wiser and have more life experience than you. And this goes hand in hand with this idea of not questioning authority. In the workplace, this translates into me assuming that anyone older than me or more tenured than me just knows more than I do, which isn't always the case, right? I think... In an Asian household, you're taught that if you play by the books, you lay low, you do what you need to do, they'll eventually recognize it. You'll succeed and grow in your career this way. Promotion in corporate America just doesn't work that way. In America, you need to be outspoken and you have to always be talking about your accomplishments and advocating for yourself. Going back to my story from before, now that I'm recognizing why I maybe act the way that I do, I'm trying to be better about unearthing those behaviors. And I've actually made it a goal of mine this year to be more open and proactive as a communicator. Like, if I don't say something about all that's happening on my end, how is anyone else supposed to know too? they might naturally assume the worst, that nothing's happening at all. And when I started looking more into this, I realized that this experience is actually so universal for many Asians in corporate America. Even in the talk that our company held with Jeremy Lin, he was sharing how on the court during his time in the NBA, he had practiced this Chinese term of being kuchi, which essentially means being polite. It means being hospitable and modest. But by doing so, by practicing kuchi, 
He said he often felt stepped on or disregarded by his peers because he wasn't standing his own ground, which I'm sure is so necessary when you're a professional basketball player because you're in the eyes of the media 24-7 and you really need to be a character and leave a lasting impression in order to succeed in a situation like that. If you couldn't tell this API month programming at my company and this whole debacle have had me thinking very critically about the role my Asian American identity and culture plays in informing how I show up in the workplace. So that's what we're talking about today. But first, let's take a quick little music break. Be right back, I promise. Welcome back, welcome back. Before diving into the body of this episode, I want to preface that I'm actually the first in my family to work in a super corporate role. My dad was a businessman as well, but the environment that he worked in was super different than the buttoned up white collar office space that I work in today. His business involves a lot of trucks and warehouses, so he primarily works in an office out of such a space. But yes, I'm the first person in my family to enter this buttoned-up space, and I would imagine that, to some degree, this lack of generational knowledge has made this transition into the corporate world so much more of a learning curve for me. That said, let's jump into some of the discussion topics that I have prepared today, starting with how the way that others perceive us is informed by the way that American media portrays us. Us being Asian Americans and others being our employers, our colleagues, and our leaders that come from different racial backgrounds. What this means is that employers might project a certain expectation onto us based on the myths and stereotypes that have been created and perpetuated in American society. Hopefully, everyone is familiar with the model minority myth. If not, no worries. The term model minority was first coined in the 1960s by a sociologist. His name was William Peterson. When we use it today, it refers to the extillation of Asian Americans as honorary whites for academic exceptionalism, a strong work ethic, family cohesion, and a general disdain for crime. In American films, this model minority stereotype was perpetuated by the portrayal of Asian characters as overachievers who were super intelligent, awesome at math, self-disciplined, law-abiding citizens. Examples of this include instances where Asian actors and actresses are typecast into roles as nerdy sidekicks or kung fu masters and Asian buddies. A more modern media example of this, this is just off the top of my head, but the character of Ned Leeds in the newer Spider-Man movies, who's played by this Filipino-American actor. His name is Jacob Batalon. But Ned is Peter Parker's best friend, and in a nutshell, he's this nerdy Asian boy who enjoys science and gaming and hacking. (laughs) And where this model minority myth comes to play in corporate America is through this perception of Asian Americans as smart, hardworking, easy-to-manage employees. 
The problem with this is that although it recognizes us as good workers, it also tells us that we're not great leaders. In recent years, the representation gaps between Asian Americans in higher education and Asian leaders in corporate America have been increasingly scrutinized. According to this study that was published by the Pew Research Center in 2021, Asian Americans are the fastest growing racial group in the country. They make up around 7% of the U.S. population. Nearly 60% of them go to college in comparison to the 41% of the general public. After school, Asian Americans comprise of 13% of the working professionals, but as they progress in their careers, they only make up 6% of executive leadership. And really, it's not because that they're not ambitious or they don't have a good work ethic. Instead, it's this combination of the cultural stigma and biased attitudes of those who are already in positions of power, those who are already in top management. Generally, the bulk of those in top management remain overwhelmingly white, and their attitudes are generally informed by what they are being told by the media. From another perspective, this model minority stereotype can also be harmful because it leads to higher expectations and this very specific pressure to conform to a certain standard, a standard that's set by these media portrayals, right? And this leads to the erasure of individual experiences and struggles that these colleagues are having. For example, there might be an instance where a leader whether they're doing it consciously or subconsciously, ends up staffing one of their Asian or Asian American reports on a more analytical, more technical job. You know, crunching numbers, not really the more strategic or creative work, when their professional background might not even have anything to do with that subset of skills. In a case like that, the leader's decision was likely informed by this assumption that because their report was Asian or Asian American, that they must be good at math, right? (laughs) Another huge thing I want to weave into this conversation on the Western gaze being perpetuated in corporate America spaces is the importance of disaggregation of Asian American identities. The Asian diaspora is so diverse and more often than not, we're seeing companies lumping Asians and Asian American subgroups into single broad monolithic racial cohorts. <laughs> that was a mouth- that was a mouthful. Um, but these companies, they're erasing the unique and specific dynamics faced by these individual ethnic groups. There are differences between Chinese, Indian, Korean, Filipino, Vietnamese cultures and many, many other Asian cultures. Each of these groups are coming into these corporate settings with a uniquely different set of contexts, barriers, biases, and opportunities that have affected the way that they have grown up and the way that they show up at work. 
Another big thing that affects the way we are showing up in our workplaces is actually the people who are advocating for us, mentoring us. I mean, we spend so much time at work, it's really natural for us to want to seek role models who can guide us, lead us, and share our cultural background and provide us support in navigating the complexities of corporate For Asian Americans, this is actually a really difficult experience. Of all the racial groups, Asian Americans actually have the most challenge identifying these mentors. A study conducted by CoQual, which is this global diversity, equity, and inclusion think tank, found that Asians and Asian Americans were the least likely of any racial group to say that they had a strong network only 17% of their respondents had shared that they did. And also the least likely to have a sponsor, which only 21% of them did. And it's really because we are so underrepresented in the senior roles and higher management that we end up having very few, if any, advocates in more powerful positions who can help us advance in our careers. All of these factors that we talked about today, so the model minority myth, the necessity for disaggregation, and limited access to Asian and Asian American sponsors and mentors are making it so much more difficult for Asians and Asian Americans to be recognized for our talents and contributions. I guess the big money question now is... What can we do, what can companies do to make progress solving for these big issues? I think the first big thing that corporate America can do to make progress is to recognize that there is a problem to begin with and to be super proactive about creating development opportunities for their Asian and Asian American colleagues. An awesome way that many companies, including my own, are doing this right now is through the creation of these affinity groups. These groups are often the driving forces that are helping colleagues to unlearn harmful stereotypes, including the model minority myth, by developing trainings, addressing promotion gaps, and disproving stereotypes by spotlighting a broader range of Asian Americans that are coming from these very different walks of life and sharing very diverse professional experiences. On a smaller scale, if you're Asian American in a corporate setting right now, I encourage you to have open and honest conversations with your immediate leaders and team members on how your background might be affecting the way that you're showing up at work. If you're comfortable doing this, of course, like no pressure, (laughs) but this is actually something that I've had conversations with my team members about. And in my experience, people are genuinely so receptive to it. And if you don't speak up, they won't have much context to understand why you might be behaving in a certain way or even enough context to advocate for you in the case that they're your leader. I mean, remember my example at the beginning of this episode where I had talked about like holding back on questions because of the uncertainty that I experience and this unsureness that was kind of driven by my Asian upbringing. <laughs> but yeah, Also, if you're experiencing racially charged microaggressions at work, like, please, please, please speak up because I think microaggressions are so subtle in nature that it really 
does feel hard to identify them and address them most times. You might not even realize they're happening in the moment, but when you do experience them and you are able to identify them, like for example, if someone is making an insensitive comment about your appearance or your accent or making assumptions about your cultural background or language proficiency, like don't be afraid to stand your ground and to educate them. They might be in a position where they don't have the information to know better, but you have the power to change that. Okay, so less on the individual level now. Next up is like companies needing to avoid treating API professionals as a monolithic cohort working towards this disaggregation. Because by doing this, organizations can better understand the distinct challenges that are being faced by these different Asian subgroups and identify these disparities in representation and career advancement, etc. This allows them to develop more targeted strategies at fostering inclusivity and equity, creating opportunities for success for all of these different Asian American subgroups in the corporate workspace. Yeah, I think that was everything I had to cover today. Uh, I know that was a lot, but I was really excited about this topic and I've been meaning to record this episode for a long time now. I know that much of it has been detailing instances where this Asian or Asian American upbringing or culture might have hindered professionals, but I also want to just like acknowledge the fact that There are so many characteristics about an Asian upbringing that actually help propel us forward in our careers. I've definitely seen this in my own. These are characteristics and values like working hard, dedication, community, and resilience. Like almost everything in life, there is a good and bad to it. So yeah. I actually really want to do an episode on Asian American representations in American film. So if you enjoyed this episode, like, please let me know. Drop me an Instagram DM or, you know, shoot me a message on the Spotify (laughs) Q&A. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening today. This episode took some time to record and research because I am actually so attached to the topic. I'm really happy that I finally got to share it with you. And if you're interested in learning more, please check out the resources that I've included in the description, the show notes below. And if you're liking the show so far, please don't forget to follow me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Please leave a rating and review, share it with your friends. All of these things really help me out. If you want to hang out with me on social media, you can find me at onedayatatime.mp3 on Instagram or at Fong. But that's a wrap, guys. I'll talk to you guys soon. I promise. Love ya. See ya.